I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh my God. Welcome back to Let's Go There. It's Shira. What's up? And it is Ryan. And uh, it is fun to see you again. I know you're going out of town to this amazing place <laughs> this weekend. The, the, if the you Adventures ever, of Ryan. If you ever thought I slept, it's not a real thing. Sleeping is for the week. No, but wow. I'm going to Essence Fest um, this so much weekend fun. in New Orleans. First time going to Essence Fest and first time being in New Orleans. And you know my first thing that I'm doing as soon as I get off the plane? Drinking? Beignets. Oh, yes. You said that. I think we had this conversation on air a few days ago. Sorry. No. Who cares? No one remembers that. Don't bring that up. No, don't bring that up. Uh, but no, I'm very, very excited. It's going to be a fun time. I don't know what to expect, but I do know it's raining the entire time oh, there. Oh, no which way. Sucks. Really? So I'm Jeez. like, what do I pack? How do I pack not one bag, but two bags? Because I am bringing two pairs of luggage. Because I can ch- check in two luggage. Yeah, might as well do it. Um, but, you know, it's only for two. It's literally only for oh, two Oh, God. <laughs> well, just FYI, humidity. I know. So, I have fans. I have a fan with a mist, a handheld one. Um, and then I have a regular fan. You know, I'm prepared for these things. Um, I would say an umbrella. Uh, well, thank you so much for that. I did not remember Do an you umbrella. have, like, a cute um, rain jacket? Like, you need a designer rain jacket. Girl, ain't nobody doing that. Does your hair get frizzy? I'm not white. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. Okay, coming up on the show. I don't know. Yeah, my hair in that out in that weather. No, sorry. We're going to be discussing what Biden may be doing to pass abortion rights into law. This just happened today. And later in the show, we're going to be talking to the Trevor Project about their study on the resilience of LGBTQ+. So excited to have Trevor Project back This is actually, I think, the most optimistic tease we've had in a long time. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Oh, my God. This is also good news. Ketanji Brown-Jackson was sworn in as a Supreme Court justice today, shortly after Justice Stephen Breyer's retirement became official, making her the first black woman on the nation's highest court. As an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. As an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Under the Constitution. Under the Constitution. And laws of the United States. And laws of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. Now, on behalf of all of the members of the court, I am pleased to welcome Justice Jackson to the court and to our common calling. Yes. 
After the ceremony, she said in a statement, with a full heart, I accept the solemn responsibility of supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States and administering justice without fear or favor. So help me God. What a crappy time, though, to be coming on board to the Supreme Court right now. Well, it's an important Um, time, yeah. It's a crappy time because she's filling in a seat that it's yeah, our it's, it's not it's like not she's an additional on. yeah it's like she's now going to have the stresses of her position on top of like battling with a super conservative majority court like that is going to be probably exhausting but thank you for her because she wants to do this work she's done this work for all of her career and I just hope that this can move a needle forward and in 15 minutes we're talking more about this historic moment but that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Well, that's a great question. I haven't even looked. Oh, Cameron Diaz. Guess who's back yes, in town? Yes, you have looked. Back in You've town. seen back that. Back in town. I know. I saw this headline. I was like, I didn't even realize she what? was retired. I just thought she's, I don't know, maybe she took a break. How are you? What? But I guess she was, you know, she's with the Madden she's brother. She's literally been gone. I know she's been gone. Year, like, but decade, I know like that it was like the word retired. Yeah, she like, said she was never going. After Charlie's Angels and everything, she was like, oh, after, actually, Annie. Not after Charlie. It was Annie. It was after that uh, movie that she did uh, where it was like she was, it was like the movie about the side chicks. Um, she, no, literally, it was her and two other fo- two other women. Yeah. And they all like dated the same guy, blah, blah, blah. Um, she was done after that movie. But like, now she's coming out of retirement for a Netflix film called Back in Action, in which she'll star opposite of Jamie Foxx. Ill, um, the, you know, I'm very excited to have her back into the atmosphere of acting because she is a powerhouse, and I just hope that she's like ready to like just like slay this. So basically, this movie um, is being kept under wraps, like the storyline is. But Seth Gordon, who did Horrible Bosses, directing from a, a script he wrote uh, with Brandon O'Brien, who, if you liked the movie Neighbors, he did that movie. And yeah, apparently, this is going to be an incredible cast. Jamie Foxx teased a new project this morning on Twitter via an audio clip of a phone conversation with Diaz, who confesses that she's so excited yet anxious about getting back into acting. She says, I don't know how to do this, you know? Mm. Which, duh, when you're out of the game for so it's long. Strange. Like she, like she can officially confirmed her retirement from uh, acting back in 2018. So it's been wow. a minute, uh, but before she wasn't really acting either. Um, but yeah, that's your team report. <laughs> we got more coming up next hour. After this, Katanji Brown Jackson is the first ever Black woman to be sworn into the Supreme Court, as we mentioned. So we have the National Black Justice Coalition joining us to discuss the importance of this next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. It was a big day. Ketanji Brown-Jackson was sworn in as a Supreme Court justice, making her the first black woman on the nation's highest court. Uh, Her husband, Dr. Patrick Johnson, their two daughters and the other justices on the Supreme Court were in attendance, as well as retired Justice Anthony Kennedy, who stepped down from the court in 2018. It was a beautiful moment, to say the least. And back with us is Victoria Kirby-York, Deputy Executive Director at the National Black Justice Coalition. As we dive in, welcome back. Shout out to Victoria. <laughs> hey, Sam. I'm excited to be back with yes. y'all, especially on this big day. Exactly. Yeah, I think what's so beautiful about this day is. I don't know. I, I'm looking at the complexities of this day, um, especially this week and and how it, it really translates to oftentimes what a lot of black women go through and just black folks in general and the, the mm-hmm. entering into spaces where there's going to be a ton of labor. So like, how do we celebrate this? But then also know that Katanji got a lot on her plate coming in Ooh. to this position. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, she does. The, the only thing that gives me a little solace for her is that she is the kind of person who has spent her entire life in the kind of doing the kind of labor that she's doing. And she, unlike some of us, um, has relished and thrived amongst it, even though it is hard and painful. You know, one of, one of the quotes that have stuck with me um, over the last couple of years is that folks who break glass ceilings, folks never talk about the pain from the glass, like oh, the shards.com. Wow. <laughs> that's powerful. Wow. Victoria. I like, you know what? That's so oh real and obvious, like, and that visual and the feeling. I can't believe we don't talk about that enough. Wow. Like we talk about the power really? of breaking it, but like the there is pain as you move through that, and obviously there's healing on the other side. Hopefully, yes, or some real thick skin, which I think, yep. you know, Supreme Court Justice um, Brown Jackson has really had to build over her career, starting from her experience going from Miami, <laughs> right, Miami, Florida, to. Um, the Ivy League that she attended. Um, she was selected in large part because of her experience as a bridge builder, because mm. of her experience having these kind of hard conversations that honestly can also be traumatizing conversations. There's not many of us that raise our hand to sign up to be put through some of what she's going to experience, mm. but she seems um, prepared and eager for the job. Don't mean we don't need to throw up some prayers. Light <laughs> right. up candles, you know. Yeah. Do all kinds of stuff, you know, to help ensure that she has the strength that she needs. Yeah. Especially after what happened last week. I feel like this court was just like, let's throw out a red carpet of bull crap ahead of you <laughs> yeah. coming that's like targeting everything that you are mm. and all of your identities to welcome you um to the court. Um, yeah. which, you know, <laughs> well, like with that said, how will this impact things moving forward? Obviously we're stuck in between a rock and a hard place still with the minority in the court, but still I believe like similar to, you know, when RBG was there and how that shift happened in the seventies. Right. I think Brown mm -hmm. Jackson has the ability to be the RBG, the next RPG. <laughs> I do. There are a number of similarities. People talk a lot about what she's pulled, you know, from Justice Breyer, you know, because she clerked for him. But in so many ways, her and RBG have the piece around being um, literalist in their own right, although they're not, you know, members of what people would call the conservative side of the court. Uh, I think KB. Jay, looking at the Dobbs decision, would have looked at the 14th Amendment and not just focused on some of the privacy pieces, but looked at the equal protection under law and the mandate to ensure that states don't pass uh, legislation that targets one community of people. In this case, people assign female at birth, um, you know, different from other folks. Folks assigned male at birth, some inter intersex folks, right? And, and and so that's a literal interpretation, right? Or looking at the fact that the Constitution literally says that a person is born, right? <laughs> Therefore, answering questions around when personhood and citizenship begins that comes up in a lot of these abortion debates. 
Um, and RBG was the same kind of attorney and, and jurist. She looked yeah. at the Constitution as a living, breathing document, but also literally. Yeah. Yeah. But it also seems like, you know, there's so many conversations right now happening about expanding the courts. And and realistically, if that's ever going to happen, President Biden doesn't seem like he's ever on board with that. I just feel like Mm -hmm. entering into this space, you know, as someone new, it can be difficult to get any change done if that idea of expanding and reforming the court as we know it doesn't happen, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's important. I mean, one, thing that, one thing that people don't always say when talking about expanding the court is that it's, it's happened before. We The court has had different numbers of justices um, throughout history, including when we had to wait a year and some change, you know, after President Obama selected uh, Merrick Garland, right, when, when there were only eight justices on the court recently. And, and so... One of the things that I think is important about the concept of expanding the court is the idea of true representation, mm-hmm. right? We're just barely just now, 250 plus years into this nation um, in terms of its government, having an equal, you know, sex, you know, somewhat equal sex breakdown on the court with still less people assigned female at birth than males, right? We're, we're starting to get closer on the racial you know, demographic makeup, still not there, but getting closer in terms of people of color on the court, right? There's so many other, you know, geographic breakdowns, religious breakdowns, all these regional breakdowns, all these different lived experiences that have not happened yet on the court, including the LGBTQ+, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Or at least openly, right? Right. That, you know, we need to have, and we haven't been able to get there with nine. And and that lived experience is one of the reasons I loved Katanji uh, Justice Katanji Brown Jackson as a as a nominee um, is that she's bringing so much rich personal experiences that help shape the impact of the interpretations of the Constitution and that's incredibly important and missing right now. Definitely, um, we love having you. We got to wrap right now, but thank you so much for joining us. We so appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, great Make sure energy. Y'all celebrate. Yeah, everybody celebrate. We need some of that right now. That was <laughs> we do. <laughs> that was Victoria Kirby York, Deputy Executive Director at the National Black Justice Coalition. Thanks again. And um, coming up next, could Biden codify abortion rights? What he said about it today. After this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, President Joe Biden said he would support suspending the Senate filibuster uh, rule to codify abortion rights established in the Supreme Court's 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling. Now, his comments represent critical uh, represent critical support for suspending a key procedural hurdle that has thus far prevented Senate Democrats from making the decision federal law. Here he is right now. Um, and then we're going to bring in our guest. I believe we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law. And the way to do that is to make sure the Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights. It should be we provide an exception for this, except the, the require an exception to the filibuster for this action to deal with the Supreme Court decision. All right. Well, joining us to break this down is journalist and political commentator Jackie Coppell. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. 
So it feels like President Biden's back is up against the wall at this point, Um, especially I feel like Democrats should be feeling the pressure. Is he just saying everything that people want to hear right now? What do you think about these comments? No, I mean, I think he's reading the room, right? At the end of the day, something like 70 percent of Americans support abortion rights. So I think as president, to be honest, right now he's saying, well, majority of Americans feel this way. I'm the president of of uh, the United States, and therefore I'm going to try and do what the majority of Americans say they want. So I don't think it's, I don't think he's just, you know, sort of speaking to speak, but, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a little more complicated than just saying let's codify it. Okay, so yeah, you're saying it's more complicated. So what does that actually mean in terms of making this happen? So what he wants to do is essentially he's talking about uh, bypassing the filibuster, and, and therefore passing legislation that would codify, a.k.a. put Roe v. Wade as code, as law. But in order to override a filibuster, you need, you need essentially one of two Democrats to say they're okay with doing that. And that's Cinema and uh, Manchin. And right now, both of their offices, or they, have said that they are not willing to do that. Cinema, I think it's pronounced cinema, cinema, cinema. Um, she uh, has said that in the past, actually, the filibuster has been what has helped sort of save abortion rights in the past. And she doesn't want that to, uh, she doesn't want that power to change. Of course, now we live in a different world, but it remains to be seen what, if anything, could move them um, from that position. Both of them have sort of similar and different reasons for not wanting to do it. Manchin's been in the Senate for a very long time, and he very much uh, is sort of a traditionalist and doesn't want to sort of break that. The flip side to it is it seems pretty clear that if GOP, uh, if Republicans take the Senate, they are going to be happy to do that, right? The sort of uh, the floodgates were opened, um, and and it's it's sort of undoubtedly... I guess I can't say that, but it's most likely that Republicans uh, will do the very thing that Democrats have been holding off uh, in the name of sort of tradition. Okay, so since you kind of explained this like really complicated process, how quickly does this mean that President Biden is going to work to make this happen? Because it seems like the time the clock is ticking. So what it means is this comes back to the the larger issue of what can people do to, to make a change if they want it. Right. And basically, the biggest thing you can do is vote because what and, and not and I'm going to use this sort of as a, as a calling card to encourage people to vote in general. But what I think people maybe don't necessarily realize is when people get to the, the U.S. Senate or Congress or, or even the presidency, right, for the most part, they had a lot of other positions beforehand. So when someone runs for school board or city council, that's one step, essentially a first step in the process. When you're a city council person, you then have a leg up because of name recognition, because you've worked on behalf of the community for getting elected into, let's say, this, a state assembly or a state senate. And then you have even larger name recognition. And so maybe you run for Congress or U.S. Senate. Right. And then all of a sudden you're in this massive position of power when you started five, 10, 20 years earlier as a member of the school board or a member of the city council. So when people say every race matters, every race absolutely matters. Because whether it's going to impact things today or in 20 or 30 years, that is that you will you will probably care. I mention all of that to say, if you want these things to change, you have to vote. And that means you have to vote in the upcoming midterm elections, because in order for Joe Biden to have any chance 
to actually uh, bypass the filibuster and, and essentially get permission, Democrats have to keep control of the Senate. And they then need to get a couple of extra seats to then override, right, to get at least 50 uh, and therefore override cinema and mansion. So you're talking about making sure that you get out to vote if you are a Democrat and that is what you are looking for. If you're a Republican, you want to get out to vote and and keep the the people who are in power, you know, in power. And if you're wondering the midterms, because I always am like, when is when are they? November 8th, 2022. Coming up, yeah, right around the corner. Yeah, we've been in the primaries for the midterms this entire time. I know, but like some people yeah. might forget when the actual date is for the midterms. Uh, yeah. Yes, but I'm hoping... I'm just letting you know, it's close. I'm hoping that people have some sort of energy, especially with all of this stuff going on. No matter what side you're on, you just feel energetic. Because I also know that a lot of voters are having voter fatigue and feel politically yeah. gaslit when they're being told to vote and nothing changes. So I do think there's a both sides to these things, and I understand the frustration. But, Jackie, we could talk to you forever. Thank you so much for being on the show and breaking it down. As always, you're so wonderful. It's coming up next... Why this Disney show sparked conversations among conservatives about periods and keeping the topic away from your kids? What? Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, conservatives are up in arms over this leaked video from the Disney series Baymax. It's a spinoff of the film Big Hero 6. So Baymax, the robot, is shown in a store in an aisle of period products. And he asks a woman shopping what she recommends. Then other... People that are there give recommendations to the robots. One of those people is dressed in a t-shirt with the colors of the trans pride flag and seemingly male presenting. And they suggest pads with wings. Anyway, they're just annoyed that there's trans visibility. People are talking about period products, all the things they don't like. Here's the clip. Excuse me, which of these products would you recommend? Oh, um... Well, these are the tampons I usually use. Thank you. I prefer pads. They're more comfortable for me. Thank you. I always get the ones with wings. Thank you. Get them scented and bleach-free if you can. Thank you. Yo, my daughter loves these. Thank you. These might be easier if it's her first period. These are really environmentally friendly. You get the point. So, uh, this is I don't get the point because I don't understand why Republicans are, like, being... They say... Bleep, bleep, bleep. They're saying this anti-LGBTQ activists... I like imagine like your life's your life's mission is to be anti-human. I'm here on this earth to hate on other humans. I mean, like what? Sounds wonderful. So he said, "No, it sounds like the reason why everyone on the right side's skin is bad. It sounds like the reason why you know everyone looks the way they do because they are all worried about everybody else's business except for their damn own." Exactly. This person said it's all part of Disney's plan to re-engineer the discourse around kids and sexuality. <laughs> Just uh, like I don't think Disney needs to to jumpstart the period conversation with my kids. Can't my spouse and I have these conversations when we feel they are ready? Well, the, it's like, do they not follow you in the aisles and like notice when you have your period? Are you not think talking we about have your to period? have a real conversation about the ways that we're seeing uh, queerness? I mean, there's so many incredible people that are really focused on integrating queer animated characters into this space, yeah. or just queerness into these like children and family spaces, because it is 
a lot of times and data has shown that queer kids know we're queer when we are young at a very young age and so representation is so important yeah. and so when you have someone who is like the co-creator of Steven Universe Christy Reed who is doing all this incredible work and doing all this other work on Netflix to enter into the family and children's space in the way that she's doing and taking up space and making sure that there's characters that are representing the queer spectrum yeah. I think that's important and Republicans are just going to have to deal with it because I don't care obviously I I don't care either. I mean, I want more of this. Just or just let's live our lives and just show everything. That's what pe- that's what pe- how people are existing. Next up on the show, more top of the hour news, including the world's oldest Methodist church allowing same sex marriage. How how's that for good news? Next, let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Okay, welcome back to the show. We have more music coming up right here on Channel Q. Um, and it is Shira and Ryan, the Slay God, in studio today. Uh, we're going to be getting into where the Don't Say Gay Bill is beginning to show itself in Florida schools. And then a study was put out about how the major uh, racial disparities in COVID-related deaths experienced by Latino, Latinos in California have significantly, significantly narrowed. So we're going to talk more about this study in a moment. But let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. The Supreme Court today limited the power of the Environmental Protections Agency, EPA. I mean, they keep limiting everything. Doesn't seem like they care about humans or the environment to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. And it's a significant blow to the Biden administration's efforts to fight climate change. The court divided six to three, of course, along party lines and ideological lines. And finding that Congress, through the Clean Air Act, did not grant the EPA the authority to adopt on its own a regulatory um, plan to cap carbon dioxide emissions from power plants to combat global warming. So that's really bad (laughs) right now. Um, And here is California Governor Gavin Newsom's response. You don't believe in climate change. You got to believe your own eyes. Come to California, the extremes, extreme weather, extreme heat, extreme drought, and of course the ravages of the wildfires. The idea that the U.S. Supreme Court moved to take away one of the most significant 
and historically powerful tools to address the ravages of climate change is incomprehensible. We've got to wake up to what's going on, Supreme Court, and we've got to double down, quadruple down here in California and in blue states all across America. Now, five Democratic House representatives have introduced a trans bill of rights that would protect trans and non-binary people. The bill would ban discrimination against gender identity and expression in public accommodations, employment, housing and credit. It would also ensure access to gender affirming medical care, including abortion and contraception. I feel like we keep bouncing, right? Like from the people that hate everything to the people who want to do everything. And it would also uh, ban for surgery on intersex children and infants. Intersex individuals are unfortunately usually subject to unnecessary genital surgeries before they can provide any sort of consent. And the bill is unlikely to find the 10 Republican senators necessary to bypass the filibuster. It still provides a roadmap for other states and organizations looking to protect trans and non-binary people's civil rights. Good intentions, but I thought it was better news than it was. Still probably won't get past anyone anyway i always wonder when we say good intentions like intentions don't really matter uh well you need to have the plan then when the right people are there at least it's there to you know it's ready to go but isn't that subjective the right people well that i mean it's a real thing there needs to be the right people to vote on it unfortunately we could all be into it doesn't seem to matter (laughs) the new room chapel the oldest remaining methodist building in the world in Broadmead, Bristol, is able to accept wedding requests from LGBTQ plus couples as of today. Reverend Mandy Briggs is applauding the move as a natural next step. In a statement, the church said, the decision to register John Wesley's new room as a venue for same-sex marriages is the latest step in our journey of allyship with the LGBTQIA plus community. An early yes, queen. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, well, well, let's keep up with Ezra Miller because they are really showing their ass and not caring. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Now, this story of the latest kind of tragic way that they are literally making sure they are plaguing and traumatizing so many people around this country, um, actually around the world because they've gone global with it. So Ezra is allegedly being uh, allegedly called a German woman who told um, Ezra that uh, she was a descendant of a Holocaust survivor, a Nazi. uh, They also called them transphobic. So this woman identified only by her first name, Nadia, and and she uh, basically spoke to Variety. And the expose published uh, today that alleged that um, this encounter with um, Ezra occurred at her Berlin apartment in February. Nadia claimed to the outlet that she met Miller in January 2020 at an art opening in Los Angeles and that the two had consensual sex on the last night of her trip. She claims they continued a long-distance friendship, mostly via text message, for the next two years due to the pandemic and their busy schedules, basically, that they didn't see each other until February 2022. Now, Nadia invited the actor to stay at her apartment uh, while um, the annual kind of, like, I guess there was a film festival, like a Berlin Ale film festival yeah. that was taking place. Well, she told Variety that Ezra was super nice and super polite until they began to roll a cigarette, and she told them that they couldn't smoke inside her home. Okay. Well, that just set them off, Nadia claimed, saying that I asked them to leave about 20 times, maybe more. They started insulting me, saying I'm a transphobic piece of blank, 
I am a Nazi, and it Ugh. became so, so stressful for me. They were going around my house looking at everything, touching everything, spreading tobacco leaves on the floor. It felt Yikes. disgusting and very intrusive. Um, What? This is How? messed up. You know, Ezra Miller, I don't... Clink, clink, where's Law & Order? Because, um... He's so problematic. Them? Oh, them, sorry. It's okay, sorry. I mean, it's... Them, they are. They are very problematic, and it's um, something to be said that I don't know what's going to happen moving forward, but these stories keep coming out, and Nadia did file a criminal complaint about her experience, um, but nothing has happened. So that is your T-Report. Um, we have more coming up next hour. Yeah, I just I just don't know what's going on with Ezra Miller. I don't I don't think seems like does. they have some mental health issues and they and they get to deal with it and, and I, I feel bad that they're basically acting out. It's yeah, sad. but my thing is just because you have mental health issues doesn't no, it's mean not an excuse. Being a- but like what is what is done? They've been arrested. They obviously haven't done enough to stay in prison. So it's like they're just going around. You know, ruining everyone else's lives around them. I don't know. Like, I, I hope they have family and support that can actually do some sort of intervention and get Clearly them help. They don't. Yeah, that's your report. All right. Next up, teachers in Florida are now being told to inform students' parents if the student comes out to them. More on how the "Don't Say Gay" bill is being unraveled over in that state. Next, let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. All right, we are back, and this next story is really interesting because the ninth largest school district in the U.S. just advised its twenty-five thousand teachers and staff that they must inform parents if a student quote comes out to them, and that's just for starters. Advocates have warned for months that the "Don't Say Gay" laws' vague wording and provisions to allow parents to school districts would prompt uh, draconian anti-LGBTQ regulations. And that's exactly what is happening right here in Orange County. It feels like the backyard to Los Angeles. Joining us today is Jim uh, Jim Finn, a columnist for the Los Angeles Blade, one of the nation's most read LGBTQ news sources. Thank you so much for being on the show today. So Orange County, Florida, I mean, most people have heard of the, the, the big important city in Orange County, and that's Orlando. Orange County is 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 a blue county. It's where a, a lot of progressive people with families live. It's 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 not particularly Trump country, uh, and it's you know it's where you go to feel the magic with Disney, and so you've got that in common with California too. But I bet a lot of your listeners have heard this year rumblings about Florida's "Don't Say Gay" law. Because it's implicated yeah. California, too, because of the conflict with Disney and Disney's new chairman. Of course. So so there's a lot going on with that. And there's a huge California connection. And for your LGBTQ listeners, because obviously this is all about Q, there's a big, big problem going on. And and that's got to do with uh, that's got to do with a backlash. It's sweeping the nation right now, particularly in red states but affecting blue counties like like Orange in in mixed states like Florida. Yeah. And it's really going to hurt some kids this year and it's tragic. Well, yeah, let's and talk it, let's talk about that because uh, according to your article, um, the district which is the ninth largest school district in the US just advised 25,000 teachers and staff that they must inform parents if a student comes out to them. Tell us more about what's happening. And so this is the beginnings of the impact of the Don't Say Gay law, right? Yes, yes, it is. Because 
lots of voices, including mine and the Los Angeles Blade, have been telling people for a long time now that don't say gay is not about stopping talk about sexuality in kindergarten through third grade. That's what the Republicans were pushing it to try to sound like. But what it really is, is to get discussion of, of queer people, families, and kids out of schools. And it, where it needs to be for, for people who need that support. So one of the big purposes, one of the first purposes of the Don't Say Gay law was actually parent information, letting parents know if their kids come out as trans, gay, or bisexual. Uh, there was an explicit part of the bill that mandated that, that was put in an early amendment in the legislative process, and it caused so much controversy that they took it out. But not completely. And the purpose of the law has always been, very centrally, that kind of parental um, involvement. Well, with Which that, sounds well and yeah. good, except what if, what if your kid is gay? What if your kid is yeah. trans? And their parents are very unsupportive. That's it's horrifying. You know, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So Orange County, Florida, um, is has a dense population that includes two hundred five thousand public school students. That's a huge amount of that's right. young people. And now their policies, their new LGBTQ are um, it polices. And you wrote this whole list, which I don't I don't know if you want to maybe go through these. Which is really yeah, horrifying. So it, so it is. The, 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 the two biggies, let's talk about the two biggies. Yeah. The parental information in terms of if a kid comes out to a teacher, then the teacher's supposed to tell the parents. I need to talk about that in a minute because since you and, since you and I talked, since my article came out, the district has backed away from that a little bit. So there's some good news to report. The second big thing is that teachers have to use pronouns assigned at birth in class. <laughs> they can't use it. So, Even if the parents get involved, none of that. Yeah, so this is so this is bad. If the parents say, so I don't know how many trans kids you know. I know a few trans families, and some of the kids have been socially transitioned since they were yeah. like 10, you know, and they go to a new school. Nobody knows they're trans. You can't tell. Wow. And, and, and suddenly the teachers required to use the, the gender marker on their birth certificate rather than what they present as. This is also a form of mandatory outing, not to the parents, obviously, but to their peers. All right. So these are the, yeah, I mean, it, it, those are the two things. I mean, still, it makes me so sad that even teachers are discouraged from putting pictures of their same-sex spouse on the desk, talking about them yes. to students, like ta- taking yes. away anything rainbow-related. This is... Doesn't it sound like something out of a dystopian novel? Yes. Is anyone fighting this? Like, what will happen? Big time people are fighting this. Kids have been fighting this. Students are taking the front line on this. Did you hear about the kid? I can't remember his name right now. Wonderful 17-year-old gay kid uh, who was told that he could not talk about being gay at his high school commencement ceremony. So he talked about having curly hair. Yeah. But, But that's not the only thing that he did. He's also taking point on protesting the bill, the law, which is why he wasn't supposed to talk about this. And it's not just him, it's kids and it's teachers all over Florida who are standing up and saying, this is not okay. This is not okay. All right. Uh, And it's had some impact already 
today in Florida. Wow. All right. So, well, well, thank you so much for breaking that down, for joining us for this. Uh, we really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. That was Jim Finn, columnist for the Los Angeles Blade. And next up, a new analysis shows that the gap is closing between white and Latinx people in COVID death numbers and vaccinations. More on the study next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A new data analysis from the Public Policy Institute of California shows that the major racial and ethnic disparities in COVID-related deaths experienced by Latinos in California at the height of the pandemic have actually significantly narrowed. And joining us right now is Shannon McConville, a researcher from the Public Policy Institute of California, to share more. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, tell us more about the study and the numbers that came out of it. Sure. Well, we really wanted to look at how COVID um, mortality rates have kind of been changing over time, especially since uh, vaccines became widely available about a year ago. Um, And so when we did that, you know, we did, as you mentioned, we saw and we did this by race, ethnicity. And so looking at deaths per 100,000 adults across these different racial ethnic groups. And, you know, what we found is before the vaccines were available, kind of the big surge in deaths that happened around January of 2021, Latinos had significantly higher um, mortality rates, as did um, black Californians compared to compared to white and Asian Californians. And then when we kind of look out over the past say, year and a half and as vaccines became more widely available um, in this latest surge, um, which was really January, around January 2022, February, we actually saw Latinos had slightly lower mortality rates. Um, and that was probably, you know, it's probably a combination um, that Latinos in California maybe had higher immunity because they had higher cases and were more, more exposed early on in the pandemic. But also there's been a lot of efforts around ensuring that groups have access to vaccines and that, um, you know, community organizations really got out there and, and made a push in order to try and get vaccination rates up. Um, and, and I think they succeeded at least in part in doing that, although we need to continue to be mindful. Yeah, I, I guess when you're t- talking about um, like equity gaps being narrowed, mm-hmm. what do you really mean by that? Can you break that down for us? Absolutely. So when we you know look at the earlier data, we saw that more Latinos were dying compared to their size of the population relative to white people. Um, and that, you know, and I think we saw higher case rates. Um, the state has been putting out data um, pretty regularly and across all kind of age groups. You know, we know older people are more at risk of serious illness and death from COVID. Um, and when we look at all of that information as it's been coming out, we've really seen that Latino communities in particular seem to be experiencing much higher, a much higher death toll. Um, and so I think there was a, a deep concern. And, you know, that's related to probably a whole host of of issues about why that's the case. Um, I think folks linked it to, you know, more crowded housing, um, being in multi-generational housing, being more essential workers, just being more exposed to the COVID pandemic. Um, and so all, all we're saying now is at this point in the pandemic that that Latinos are not dying at a higher rate than whites. All right. um, well, that said, that, when we look across the whole time period, mm-hmm. Latinos do have death rates that are about 20% higher than whites. So it, it's still... It's still an issue that we really need to stay stay focused on. Definitely. And how do we um, take these lessons so we continue to decrease that gap moving forward? 
yeah, I think we keep needing to really focus on on increasing vaccinations um, and boosters and just elevating the importance of, you know, connecting people to medical care and, and, and meeting people where they are, making sure that folks don't have to take time off of work or do other things that might decrease their access to being able to use the medical care and the vaccines that are now available to protect people in communities from, you know, from the COVID. Yeah. And I'm assuming the research doesn't stop here. What are you focused on next? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think we're still trying to learn more about how this has impacted things across California. For a long time, it really was about um, protecting the healthcare systems, making sure they had enough capacity. I think we've, you know, gone well past that and, and with the vaccine development. But now we really need to make sure as people are getting back to work, as we're trying to rebuild the economy and as, as families are kind of recovering from this, that we keep an eye towards how families and people are, are kind of doing throughout this what, you know, is kind of a recovery. Yeah. Um, and, and again, keeping an eye towards those those inequities um, that are just kind of part of our society. Definitely. Okay, well, that was Shannon McConville, researcher from the Public Policy Institute of California. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, next up, what caused a carnival cruise brawl that was caught on camera? We get into the madness next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A carnival cruise is going viral for this... Yeah, I mean, like, this is one reason possibly why. Not even. There was, cruise ships are so terrifying. Uh, there was a 60-person brawl on this one cruise, and it all was because of an alleged threesome. This is according to a passenger who captured the moment, and it, it, it started because of allegations of cheating. There was this threesome on board among the guests, and I guess one of this person's significant others discovered it. The question is, like, how does that go down? If you're like on a trip with your significant other, I guess like they could go to bed early maybe. And you're like, I'm just going to have one more drink, right? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, that's the thing. I need to know all the details. I want to know the details. But I also hate that it it looks so bad. And like the last thing you need to do on a plane, I mean, not a plane, but a boat in the middle of nowhere on water is to rock the boat. No. <laughs> with a brawl. Just say, doesn't work out. I mean, the security comes in. It's like 70 people. You had to de-escalate it. It all happened, like, in the club, the cruises club. You could see it was, like, they're all hanging out, having a good time. And then it's, like, people are just at it. There's, like, a lot of reasons why I don't like cruise ships. Not just that it's on a large body of water. Not that, you know, I remember that time in uh, when, I don't know, was that a COVID thing? But, like, there was, um, it got stranded out in the middle of the ocean and people were sitting next to each other in feces because they, like, the, oh, God. the boat literally lost yeah. power and they couldn't, and they were out there for a week. Also, during, like, the beginning of COVID, a bunch of them were stuck on the cruise as well. And then, like, also just hate the idea of just, like, those buffets everywhere. Like, there's just so many things about a cruise ship that is just not as appetizing as you would think. It's just not a good place to be. I mean, it's just one place where everyone's hanging out for a week. That's awful. Why would you want to do that? And then if you miss the boat, you're stranded. You're stranded at whatever stop or port they're at. Maybe if uh, if you don't want to come back to America, that could be a good thing. Anyway. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, we're coming up next. We got more top of the hour news, including what Clarence Thomas thinks COVID vaccines are made of. I, I can't. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, welcome back to the show and stick around for more music right here on Channel Q. Uh, coming up, we have the Trevor Project joining us to discuss their recent study about the resilience of LGBTQ youth. Finally, what seems to be a feel-good story. Then we are speaking with the founder of a great organization, Moms Against Homophobia. We love to see it. Uh, but right now, we're getting into some what's trending this hour. So let's do it. The Supreme Court ruled today in a 5-4 to four decision that the Biden administration can repeal Trump's administ- uh, the Trump administration's migrant protection protocols, commonly known as the Remain in Mexico policy, reversing a lower court ruling. So the Remain in Mexico program is um, a policy that required tens of thousands of immigrants seeking asylum in the U.S. to remain in Mexico while their cases were being processed. You can see how that's probably problematic because it would take forever and it kind of goes against the idea of why they need to leave. Um, The Biden administration announced in a June 1st, 2021 memo that it would end this program. And here is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' response to all of this. Also would like to just make a comment on, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court made a decision about uh, the remain in Mexico policy at the southern border. And, you know, they made Trump jump through a lot of hoops. And now they're saying Biden can just get rid of it. That may actually be what the Constitution, but they're treating him differently than they treated Trump, uh, which I don't uh, think is appropriate. But nevertheless, if Biden revokes the remain in Mexico policy, you're going to see the worst border crisis in history get even worse. Okay, DeSantis. By the way, you see Joe Rogan was trending earlier because he said that Ron DeSantis would be a good president. Horrifying. Now, the Department of Justice opened an investigation into the New York Police Department's sex crimes division following complaints that it allegedly shamed and abused survivors and deprived them of thorough investigations. The DOJ said in a release that the department had received information about deficiencies within this division of the NYPD. It stretches back more than a decade, including um, that they failed to conduct basic investigative steps and instead re-traumatized victims during investigations. And finally, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, in a dissenting opinion today, suggested that COVID-19 vaccines were developed using the cells of aborted children. The statement came in an opinion on a case where the Supreme Court declined to hear a religious liberty challenge to New York's COVID-19 vaccine mandate from 16 healthcare workers. The state requires that all healthcare workers show proof, proof of vaccine. He said they object on religious grounds to all available COVID-19 vaccines because they were developed using cell lines derived from aborted children. Yes, uh, which is... Obviously, it's misinformation there. But that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Clarence is the worst. I mean, he's really coming out there. He's really the worst. I want him to go back in. Don't come out any further. Just go back in. Okay, so let's talk Halsey. Um, Halsey had uh, a lot of words to say about abortion and her stance on abortion that had fans walking out of her concert. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So she was in Phoenix, Arizona, and she said this to the crowd. I'm remembering your faces, what you look like, what you're wearing. And I know that the reality is, is that some of the people that I'm looking at right now are going to need an abortion one day and you deserve one. Um, They continue by saying whether it's a life threatening situation or it's not, you deserve it. 
Um, they also said, and if you don't like it, you can go home right now. I don't care. If you don't like it, I don't know why you came to a Halsey concert. Nope. And the crowd erupted into cheers. We There was only one video of this happening, of this speech, but there was a lot of cussing that also took place that we could not play here. Um, but one fan tweeted that, the amount of people who just walked out of the Halsey concert after Nightmare when she spoke about abortion was sickening. Halsey responded saying that the downside of doing outdoor venues is that there's no door to hit them on the way out. I mean, it's surprising. Like, you know who Halsey is, that she would have that many people that are, like, against that. But, you know, people try to separate. You know, we've had these conversations about Artists separating the art from the art. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, I like this artist because I like their music. But then guess what? Their art is a reflection of who they are and what they care about. And so you can't just, you know, be in that space and not think that Halsey, of all people, who is a mother, our parent. She's been very open about stuff. Like, even in her music, it does reflect her experience. So, yeah, that's surprising that I'd be like, Halsey speaking up about this at a concert? Can't believe it. Yeah, but people don't, unless people are like huge fans, like you just never know. Like sometimes people don't pay attention to what they have to say. And, and yeah, this so, is a famous person that's coming to my hometown. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, literally, <laughs> you would only imagine like that's that type of stuff happens all the time. And so, yeah, that's your T report. We have more coming up next hour. All right. Next up, a study on LGBTQ youth is showing resilience in their mental health. We have the Trevor Project on to talk about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Trevor Project has released new data that examines resilience and mental health among LGBTQ youth. Uh, joining us to share more is Jonah Deschamps, research scientist at the Trevor Project. Thanks for joining us again and being back. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, we love having you all on, but there's been a lot of studies we've had to report on that have been pretty bleak, to say the least. But this seems to be a bit different. What was the approach to this one? Yeah, so you're right. This is a little bit different than our typical data, which is usually describing risk. Uh, And this time we are talking about resilience. Uh, Specifically, in our national survey, we included a scale called the Brief Resilience Scale, which measures, um, the the authors of the scale call it sort of bounce backness or someone's capacity to to recover after a challenging situation or event. Uh, So we asked young people to sort of report how they felt about their own personal sense of resilience, and then we compared different scores based on whether they had high resilience, medium resilience, 
was low resilience. Um, and we had some pretty heartening and exciting findings about how LGBTQ young people with high resilience levels um, report lower rates of anxiety, depression, uh, considering suicide and attempting suicide in the past year. So pretty exciting, positive findings here. Yeah, I, I always look at resilience from two sides. I think it's a, a beautiful thing to know that that passion is there and the fight will continue. But I also think of resilience as being robbed of innocence, especially when it comes to LGBTQ youth, having to deal with things that we shouldn't have to be dealing with. And so I, I wonder how does that and for that side of things and looking at it through that lens of these queer kids inherently kind of being robbed of their innocence and just being children because they have to now step up to the plate to be resilient, to fight through the kind of mental health and the queer challenges that are happening in this country right now. That's a really great question. Thanks so much for bringing that up. Yes, this concept of resilience is, is complicated, right? Both in our lives and in the scientific and psychological literature. So you're, you're talking about it, right? Like this, um, this study seeks to really think about, you know, again, like how, how does one bounce back? But you only have the opportunity to bounce back uh, if you've experienced something challenging, right? And, and it would actually be maybe better for your growth or development if you hadn't had to deal with those challenges in the first place, right? And that's a critique we'll certainly see when we're talking about LGBTQ youth, just like you mentioned. Also, when we're talking about young people of color, young people with disabilities, young people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, with less access to economic resources. Those are all young people who we tend to say, you know, we tend to try and measure resilience, um, but they are actually being forced to develop resilience because they are struggling to navigate a world that's not built for them. Yeah. So in the study, we, we were really focusing more on sort of the, the psychological concept of resilience. So it is this sort of, uh, you might also call it grit, right? That's mm. another concept that's gotten a lot yeah. of uh, attention in the last couple of years, which again, is it's a thing as humans, you know, even even most privileged folks have challenging circumstances in their life and they have to learn how to come back from them. But folks with more marginalization encounter more challenges. Um, and so, yeah, I think when we think about the implications, there's certainly the implication to help young people develop more resilience. And that's important and a, a skill that folks need. But then there's other implications that we actually need to change society, right? And we actually need to the amount of challenges and obstacles that are in young people's ways. And for LGBTQ young people, that means having a less homophobic, transphobic, biphobic, a less racist, a less ableist society in all sorts of different ways. Um, and helping LGBTQ young people feel supported and affirmed, um, both in their LGBTQ identity and all their other identities. And now, um, now that we know this research and this data, what happens from there? And I know usually Trevor Project is doing this to shift some sort of policy or enable some sort of action. What's the hope? Yeah, so our goal is to, to share this with our partners. Um, we have a, a small but mighty advocacy team here at the Trevor Project who works with state and local partners to try and talk to decision makers, policymakers. Um, as I'm sure y'all know, this has been one of the hardest years for anti-LGBTQ and anti-trans and non-binary legislation, particularly for young people. A lot of their rights are under attack. Um, and so trying to share this data and all of our other studies with lawmakers who are making those kinds of decisions kinds of decisions, trying to show, you know, look, when, when young people, when LGBTQ young people are supported and affirmed, they thrive. Yeah. When they are attacked and discriminated against or, or otherwise marginalized, they, they struggle. And that shows up in their mental health. So continuing to tell this message um, wherever we can uh, to, to folks who are making these important decisions in young people's lives. 
I'm just happy that the the youth from this, you know, is, is feeling like they're feeling like they still have the energy to hold on to all of this. I mean, to like mm-hmm. the energy to move forwards and the energy to fight. And I think that's so beautiful to witness. And it really feels like we're in good hands, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. That was Jonah DeChance, research scientist at The Trevor Project. Check them out, thetrevorproject.org, an amazing organization to support, or, of course, if you need support. Uh, next up, another great organization. Yes. MAH is seeking to bridge the gap between moms and their kids in the LGBTQ plus community. We have the founder of the organization, Moms Against Homophobia, joining us after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. All right, let's talk about this incredible organization, Moms Against Homophobia. They bridge the gap between moms and their children of the LGBTQ plus community coming together without expectations in a safe and unbiased environment. And I was able to meet the beautiful founder, Antoinette Jones, also known as JoJo, who is from New Orleans, and she is just a ball of light. Um, her son is a well-known, like, um, queer kind of leader here, a queer black leader here in Los Angeles. And I'm just so happy to be able to have her on the show to talk more about her or her organization and why it's so important, especially in the intersections of black culture and yeah. queer identity. Thank you so much, Antoinette Jones, for joining the show. Hi, how you doing? It's JoJo. Hello, 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 hello. I'm great. How are you? You know, I'm I'm so much better now that we get to talk about Moms Against Homophobia. Talk to us a little bit about why this organization for you was so important to start. Well, first of all, like you said, my son is well known, you know, in the community. And, um, you know, from being in the community, I see a lot of times that there are a lot of kids, when I say kids, not not meaning young kids, but just of all ages who don't have relationships with their parents and especially their moms because of their sexuality. And the one thing, you know, I'm I'm realizing is that first of all, you know, we're all out here. We all want the same thing. We want love Mm -hmm. and not saying that you have to agree with your child, their lifestyle or whatever. How many things is it that we do in our lives that our parents, you know, don't agree with or whatever, but they don't throw us away. So I decided to come up with Moms Against Homophobia because, first of all, I want them to be educated because a lot of times we know that it's Mm fear-based. You know, you don't really know a lot about the community. You just, you don't know anything. And so you're fearful. And so what you do is you have a tendency to let the fears drive you. And so what I want to do is just basically put it out there that it's okay to show your children love. You know, we don't have to throw them away. Just show them some love. That's all it is. That's all we all want. So you have this amazing, important vision. How do you then make it a reality to build like Moms Against Homophobia and and create this organization? Well, you know, like I said, I sat back and I watched. I had a conversation with um, someone before and um, I was out in L.A. and just came out for my birthday. And um, one of them, this guy was saying, you know, how excited he was and how, you know, how how it really moved him that, I chose to come out to L.A. to celebrate my birthday in the LGBTQ community when so many of them don't have a relationship with their parents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they kind of took me in as like their mom. Or they, A lot of people call me the nanny. They call me JoJo the nanny. Mm-hmm. So they kind of took, you know, they kind of took to me as, I guess you can say, their adoptive mom. 
And after seeing this and, and then going through some things in my life and realizing some things, because I, I had my first child at 17. So when I kind of sat back and thought about how I felt when society was, you know, shunning me, didn't want people to, you know, their children to be around me because, oh, you know, look at her, she's pregnant and that type of thing. I kind of put myself in the same shoes to say, you know, look, it is what it is. First of all, it's, we're all human. We're all human beings, first of all. You know what I'm saying? So the one thing we need to put aside is, is that, you know, a person's sexuality does not define who they are. Yeah, you're so right. And I think it's so important to talk about this because specifically, even as a black queer person myself, like it was also I had a very difficult relationship with my mom and and coming out and, and the religion around it. And that's so prevalent in black culture kind of not that not understanding that intersectionality and not understanding the deep-seated homophobia within it so how do you encourage you know moms of all different walks of life but specifically black moms to accept their queer kids it's called education remember again it's the fear of the unknown a lot of times when you don't know things and you're closed-minded you don't have that open mind to really just you know, seek information to learn more about it. Because I think a lot of times people have a tendency to look at the sexual aspect of it as opposed to them, you know, it's human beings outside of anything else. I don't walk around telling everybody that I'm heterosexual. I'm not walking around trying to have sex with everybody that I meet. And I think if they can just get that out of their head and just remember again, this is still your child. This is still the same person that you gave birth to. It's nobody. They're not any different than what they were before. Yeah. It's just that they love the same sex. It is, that is true. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing. Where can people find out more? Well, my website is itsma.org. So that's I-T-S-M-A-H.org. And I'm also on Instagram, M-A-H-Unite. So my Unite. Beautiful. So anybody can hit me up. Also, we wanted to make sure, you know, this feels like an early yes queen. Yes. And our, our yes queen on this show means we love to celebrate and give the flowers to incredible people doing the work. And you are someone who deserves that. So guess what? Oh, yeah. Yes, queen. Period. Thank and, you know, it's, it's you. basically like getting an Oscar. So you're <laughs> welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know, and I'm not doing it even for the accolades. I'm doing it because, like I said, We all are here on this earth for one thing, and that's love. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obsessed with you, Antoinette, Jojo Jones. Thank you so much. The founder of Moms Against Homophobia. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And you guys take care. You too. Beautiful. All right. So we're pivoting. I know. We're crying. Better. uh, Yes, we're crying. Should we just end it right now and then come back? All right. Well, something really, there's something interesting we're talking about next. I'm not going to get into it. (laughs) Is it a bit inappropriate? It's natural. I mean, it's natural. We have a range on the Next. show. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh, what tops and bottoms are. <laughs> but I have you heard it. about a side? I just learned about this. I've known about a side. Now this is where I take over because you do Thank this you. is uncharted territory for you. Perfect segue. So I'll, at the request yeah. of us being a queer station, I am now being forced to have this conversation with a cis hetero woman. I love that for me. <laughs> so I saw- the more you know. 
<laughs> okay, so aside is someone, and this is so funny because I just did a podcast where I just was talking about this. So I thought that's the reason why you did that, producer oh, Shelby. You were. Why were you talking about it on the podcast? Anyway, um, so I wanted to represent for not represent, but I wanted to be um, to speak up, up about this because okay. sides is a position that they do not like penetrative sex they like everything but penetrative sex okay so that means they do yeah they just don't like penetrative yeah, sex yeah, and so that's what a side is so now it is um it i think it, it or originated from a, a person on tiktok who made up like a joke about it and oh. then it actually became a thing where grinder has now um made it actually as a position uh, to let the world know exactly who you are and i think a lot of times people are not knowing about that until now i'm not a side but shout out to the sides. But Hope I feel like I have a question. What? What do you feel like? I wonder. Curious. What? No, no, what do you? <laughs> I'm curious f- if um, being a side is not. You know, you don't need to just be part of the queer community. Be uh, have be interested in being a side. It's like you could n- be not interested in penetrative sex if you're in a cis hetero relationship too, right? Yeah, but we're talking about queerness. I don't. I know, I don't, but I'm wondering, like, because. They're, like it could help other people. Who then maybe... that means they. I would assume that they're. I mean, not necessarily because here's the it's thing. It's like I, your ace. Is it like yeah, a but type of asexuality? There's even when it comes to asexuality, I think people just automatically think that asexual people don't have sexual or romantic feelings, and that's not necessarily true. Of course. It's about the fact that they want to engage in those feelings or not. And yeah. So like being a side is saying that they don't like penetrative sex. I'm not. I don't think this is a a cis hetero you know territory. Like y'all not in this. And if it is, then y'all got some. Some other name. Sometimes for it. I feel like being a side. <laughs> okay, all right. Sometimes I, I, I actually, if you want to identify as a side in whatever me, sometimes, cis reward no, no, that no, no, is, no. do it. I just call it. I'm in. Is cut- it laziness for you? I'm in cuddle mode feel, tonight. <laughs> that's not. And side being a side is not cuddling. You're doing everything, but you're still in. Exactly. You, sometimes that's not cuddling. Okay. All right. That's it's, not cuddling. Sometimes I'm being just a not side is still in, engaging in sexual yeah, acts. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes it's true. You just like it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot more work to do the. You know, sometimes you're just in the mood to connect. I agree. I actually, uh, but I think you're still confused on what I I'm saying seen. about sides. <laughs> no, si- I hear you. A side is someone who just doesn't like penetrative sex. They like to do everything else. I got it. Note taking. You just want to go to sleep. You want to take a nap. No. <laughs> and then just have a, a, you know, your partner cuddle you. Or maybe sometimes more. <laughs> Just don't make it messy. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. What's up? Welcome back to the show. It's Shira and Ryan here in the studio coming to you from Los Angeles. More music coming up on Channel Q. Right now we're getting into more show. We're going to be telling you more about a pop icon who has returned to Twitter. To the Twitters. That's in the T-Report in a moment. And of course, more happening in the Supreme Court. Good news. But what's her name? We're gonna get we're getting into it right now. What's we're turning this name? hour. Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown Jackson was sworn in today, shortly after yes, Justice yes, Queen. Stephen Breyer's retirement became official. It makes her the first black woman on the nation's highest court. Here was that moment. As an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. As an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Under the Constitution. Under the Constitution. And laws of the United States. And laws of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. Now, on behalf of all the members of the court, I am pleased to welcome Justice Jackson to the court and to our common calling. Yes, great news there. 
history made. But of course, she is walking into some bad things. Right? She's walking into the uh, the underworld. What's the other side? What's it called on Stranger Things? The upside down. The upside down. She's walking into the upside down. I just, you know, I, I appreciate your quirkiness. So you know, going. speaking of which, it's the finale weekend of Stranger Things. Look at you knowing things. You're welcome. Especially in the TV world. You're normally disconnected in that space. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. you don't watch anything. I know things you're just doesn't mean I watch you're it. You're just now watching White Lotus after it's been out for seven it's years. because I don't have time to watch those We things. all don't have time. I, I, but I can't watch in the background like you or else I don't listen. I need to like fully focus. <laughs> it doesn't work like that for me. You watch like seasons of things all working. I don't get it. This doesn't work. Now, uh, in, in other news from the Supreme Court today, they limited the power of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. And that is a pretty big blow to the Biden administration's effort to fight climate change. It was pretty much done along ideological lines. And yeah, so that really sucks because um, there was a regulation that would cap carbon dioxide emissions from power plants to combat global warming. And they're like... Yeah, that doesn't need to happen. (laughs) Okay, moving on to this information uh, or this news coming um, and attacking the tech, big tech companies out there. Brendan Carr, one of the FCC's commissioners, shared through Twitter a letter to Apple CEO Tim Cook, Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai, a letter asking Apple and Google to remove TikTok from their app stores. This is a direct attack to TikTok. And could this be the end of it, right? The letter pointed to reports and other developments that made TikTok non-compliant with the two companies' app store policies. Carr's letter said TikTok is not what it appears to be on the surface. It's not just an app for funny videos or memes. Um, They said at its core, TikTok functions as a sophisticated surveillance tool that harvests extensive amounts of personal and sensitive data. And if Apple and Alphabet does not remove TikTok from their app stores, they would have to provide statements to him by July 8th. That's, I mean, I know they typically attack like social media companies like this, like the government doesn't like them. However, this is also a direct attack because it's a Chinese owned company. And if this is true, though, then it makes sense. I just hope that it's not a continued part of the culture wars with China. That was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Yo, Beyonce is back on in the internet. She's back on the internet. And she's back on Twitter specifically. And she's back on Instagram. And and uh, this year of 2022, we finally got a Beyonce caption, which means she's talking directly to us. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. It has most definitely broken my soul. The fact that she has revealed the Renaissance July 29th album cover. July 29th is also a special day. Do we know why? Huh, let me think. Do we know why? Mm. Do we is know it, why? Uh, it's, is it Coco's birthday? <laughs> wow. Producer Shelby, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Do we know why? Oh. This is a special day. Oh, it is the one and only Leo I can stand. Wow. Uh, the birthday of the king himself. Ding, That's ding, a lie. Ding. I have some friends that are Leos. Oh, wow. You're, There's other okay. kids. like top three. Now I'm shutting we everyone's mic off. It's Ryan's off. birthday. Shutting okay. everyone's mic off. Beyonce l- revealed her Renaissance album cover, and it was absolutely incredible. 
She is literally a Galactica Barbie sitting on a Galactic horse, and it's absolutely incredible. She said this in the caption, creating this album allowed me to, a place to dream and to find escape during a scary time for the world. Um, it allowed me to feel free and adventurous at a time when little else was moving. My intention was to create a safe space, a place without judgment, a place to be free of perfectionism and overthinking, mm. a place to scream, release, feel freedom. It was a beautiful journey of exploration. I hope you find joy in this music. I hope it inspires you to release the wiggle, ha, and to feel as unique, strong, and sexy as you are. Yes. She wrote that directly to me, and I know <laughs> she did, and I know I'm her favorite Leo, and I'm very excited about this album. That is your T-Report. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to most definitely check out more from headlines to pop culture stories, and that's it for me. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, we're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. This one goes to Jordan Manny, who wanted to launch a career in the wedding industry. She started working at a venue in her hometown of San Antonio, Texas. She eventually left to create All the Days, her own wedding planning business, supporting all couples. And she receives an influx of LGBTQIA clients who want an open-minded planner. She herself is an ally, she's straight, but seeing how underserved queer couples were, her focus became supporting those clients and building a network of affirming vendors. She also helps, like in her spare time, build and run local organizations that support female and non-binary entrepreneurs, especially those of color. Love I mean, that. She, she's amazing. I know, right? Doing really cool incredible. stuff. We need more people like her out there. Don't we though? Um, so, yes, a big yes queen to Jordan Manny. Yes, Queen. For more info, you can uh, find her. Oh my God. What's her? I want all the days. That's what it was called. I was like, where was the name of the business? All the days. Go search it. All the days. (laughs) And that does it for our show today, but we are back tomorrow live here on Channel Q. Wrapping up the week with you, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern Live. What's happening on tomorrow's show? Producer Shelby. Uh, we are talking about this very odd situation with um, Republican Representative Adam, don't know how to say his last name, Kinzinger. Um, and he says he's frustrated with the January 6th trials, um, but not for the reason you think. So that okay. is coming up tomorrow. Okay. And Char is here. We're going to have a blast with her. A little Char says so. She always brings fun stories to the table. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay and have a beautiful rest of the day. Stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris right after this. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.